Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, yea, Greetings this Lord's Day, this fourth week of Advent, in the name of the Savior who came to earth as man. This week we focus on love. Did you ever wonder why that if love were a color, it would certainly be red? Today we're going to celebrate God's greatest gift to mankind, love, and this love was a shadow, it was a hint, a pointing finger directing all those who were looking to the time that Messiah would come. He would be the word, love, made in flesh. Amen? This love was an interceding love, because that's what love always does. It doesn't stand by and wonder who's going to do what needs to be done for those who are hurting, It jumps into the floodwaters. It runs through the furious flames and in front of flying bullets. Love gives all to the point of pouring out all of our life, giving red blood to others. That's why love is red. God's love in the hearts of his men and women has always stood between judgment due to those who disobeyed God, asking God to stay his judgment or place it on them. Instead, that's what love always does. As God calls us to worship him today, we hear the words of Psalm 86, where the psalmist uses the very words of Moses that he used when he pleaded for the lives of the Israelites who sinned and whose certain and deadly judgment was imminent. Hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 86. Bow down thine ear, O Lord, and hear me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve me, for I am holy, O thou my God, thy servant that trusteth in thee. Be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I cry unto thee daily. Rejoice the soul of thy servant, for unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive. Thou art plenteous in mercy unto all that call upon thee. Give ear, O Lord, unto my prayer, and attend to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble, I will call on thee, for thou wilt answer me. Among the gods there is none like unto thee, O Lord, neither are there any works like unto thy works. All the nations that thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and they shall glorify thy name. For thou art great, and you do wondrous things. 
Thou art God alone. Teach me all of thy ways, O Lord, and I will walk in truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. I will praise thee, O Lord, my God, with all of my heart, and I will glorify thy name forever. For thy great is thy mercy toward me, and thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest hell. O God, the proud are risen against me, and the assemblies of violent men have sought after my soul, and they have not set before them. But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion, gracious, long-suffering, plenteous in mercy and truth. O turn unto me and have mercy upon me. Give thy strength unto thy servant and save the son of thine handmaiden. Show me a token for good that they which hate me may see it and be ashamed because thou, Lord, has helped me and comforted me. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your intercession on behalf of us, Lord, according to your word. You ever live. You, the Messiah, the Son of God, ever live to make intercession for us because we see this example in you. May we set this as a pattern for our lives. May it be the desire of our heart to find ways in which we can come between your judgment and those who deserve it by bringing them the gospel, by leading them to the glorious light and your truth. We pray today as we gather together that you would forgive our sins, that you would lead us to the lost, that you would change us so that we might do these things and be made fit for heaven. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said a resounding amen. Amen. I read for you my text. You actually heard it. I'm going to read a couple of the verses out of there from Exodus chapter 32, verses 30 through 32. My sermon today is called Love Always Intercedes. Exodus 32:30. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said unto the people, You have sinned a great sin. And now I will go up to the Lord pre-adventure. I shall make an atonement for your sin. And Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou will forgive their sin, but if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book, which thou hast written. Let us pray. Lord, we want to hear from you today. Lord, we know everything written in the Bible was written for us. It's hard to imagine why we matter, but we do. And today we are reading your words and we want to understand what it is that you would have us to learn from them today. Speak that we may hear your voice. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said, you may be seated. As you know, and as we've been discussing, we are in week four of our Advent season. Advent is a very special time each year when we remember how we right now live in a very different time than our forefathers lived. They lived in darkness, a nearly completely hopeless time filled with the shadows of constant uncertainty and for 4,000 years, the entire earth groaned 
and travailed, waiting for the coming of a Savior, the chosen one of God, the Messiah. You know, we're not waiting anymore. But they were. As it is true that we now, after the coming of Christ, the great day of light to the world, still, as the scriptures tell us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we still live in a time where we see through a glass darkly. Then it could be said of them that they were like blind men groping along the paths of their lives and they could see nothing at all. All had been light from the very beginning of time when God spoke, right? And said what? Let there be light. But since the sin of Adam and Eve, their sin came, darkness came over the wonderful world that God had made. <clears throat> darkness in the form of the onerous rule of demonic forces and darkness as in the darkest thing of all, death. Yet in that darkness, God struck the match of hope. For even in the words of the curse on that foul serpent, God lit a light in the middle of the darkness. Amen? We now call God's words to the serpent that day the proto-gospel because it was the precursor of the gospel. But for them, you know what it was? It was the gospel itself. It was hope itself. It was all they had. For 4,000 years, it was all they had. One day, they believed that a man-child would be born whose heel would crush the head of the deceitful serpent who had slithered its way into the Garden of Eden and up that tree. His day of defeat was coming, and the light of this was the hope of the whole world. Darkness, sin, and death would not always reign on the earth. And it was really all they had every time they faced the darkness and the realization of the world they were living in now. In our first week, we talked about how this hope lit. And we lit our first candle representing hope. The birth of Moses and his ark ride through the bulrushes to the house of Pharaoh's daughter was one of those great days of hope for Israel, although they didn't even know that it happened. When Moses was born, there was no John the Baptist leaping in his mother's womb. There was no John the Baptist to proclaim Moses' arrival, no shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night, no angels singing glory to God in the highest. Why? He wasn't the Messiah, but he was going to be their deliverer. He was born without fanfare and he came very close to being killed more than once. Moses was not the Messiah, but he was a type and a shadow of him who was to come. He was the personification of the four great things that kept the world until Christ came. And their hope, faith, joy, and love. As a baby, the answer to the cry of the Israelites to be delivered from the burden of their slavery, that's what Moses was. He was hope. And so it is that there is still hope in the face of every child that God gives because we know God has given us all power and even this same power to our children to be deliverers. Isn't that an amazing thing? Where's Charity? She, oh, she's juggling these kids, you know. You know this little one who was standing on his head over here a little bit ago? He's, he could be a deliverer. 
He can bring people out of darkness into God's marvel. Isn't that amazing to you? That's amazing to me. My little one who running around outside playing with cats at 6.30 in the morning this morning, I don't know. Letting the dog out, whatever, I don't know. Do you know that he can speak the words of life? He can do like Moses did for the children of Israel. He can lead people out of darkness into the marvelous light. Folks, that should give us a great deal of hope. Amen? Amen. We look at our children and we go, oh, I don't know if, you know... I don't know if I can even teach them to read. And God says, oh, you, what you think that they can do, you have no idea what I can do with them. And that's what God does. He's been doing that with men all along. This is our hope-giving mission. And then there's faith. Remember in week two, we talked about how faith works. That's what it does, right? Hope is the spark to give sight to the blind, but faith moves us forward to action. It walks, and then it runs, and eventually, what does it do? It flies. This is what Moses did and still calls us to do. He calls us to walk in faith where hope gives light. He had been shown the hope from his mother, who explained to him who he was and what he would one day would be. But there came a day when he had to begin doing it himself. Remember? What a frightful day it was for him as the, the, the burning bush appears before him. He takes off his shoes and he says, you're going to go and deliver my people. And he's like, not me. I'm the last guy. I stutter. Uh, I'm wanted for murder. I, I'm really not the right one. And God says, you're just the one to go. What is that story about? It's about the fact that as no matter how bad you think you might be for this job, you're better. Oh, I can't do it. Well, don't believe that lie. That lie is from your heart, which is deceitful. That lie is from the devil who wants you to do nothing. But God speaks to every single one of us and he says, go out and bring my people out. Bring my people home. As we heard last week, faith walks and runs and then joy takes us on wings of eagles into flight. Joy comes when we learn to walk in the spirit. You see, we have hope, but then we work in faith. And what comes from that is joy. And we celebrated that. Because of the coming of Christ, we can be filled with the never-ending oil of joy given to us. This never-ending oil, like the oil that paid the widow's debts and fed her family in Elisha's day and kept the candles burning in the time of the Maccabees, that is the never-ending oil of joy, the Holy Spirit of God himself. That walking, that running, that flying leads us above the clouds of our earthly ways and takes us up to the heavenly places where God says we are right now and our next stop is love. Face to face with love, we understand our calling is to a love that always intercedes. Say it with me. Love always intercedes. We are called to go into the lives of others, into their darkness, We are called to light the spark of hope to teach them to walk by faith and to soar with joy. And to do this, we must love them with a love that intercedes for them to God. Love always intercedes. Here in our text, we see this love wrought by the hands of Moses. God had given all of Israel hope through him. He had taught them to walk by faith as they walked across on dry land, crossing the Red Sea. On the other side, he sang and danced with them and leaped with them heavenward, flying with joy as he took them 
on their way in their first steps toward the promised land. Can you see this picture? Now on the other side of the Red Sea, they needed Moses again. He was God's man and he loved these people that God had given him to lead. And this true love from God that fills a man's heart puts us in a place where we're willing to die for those people. Because that's what love does. Love intercedes. He knew that God was not to be trifled with on this day. He had seen his own staff, Matthew, turn into a snake and swallow the snakes of the sorcerers. He had seen God's death angel smite Egypt's firstborn and witness the waters turning to blood and, and frogs and flies and lice and locusts coming out of the heavens to judge the Egyptians. He had seen thundering and terrible lightning on Mount Zion. He had seen the dreadful power of God to turn a mountain black as it still can be seen today 3,000 years later. He knew that God always kept his word. You see, that's what's really difficult about this passage. God says, I am going to kill these people. <laughs> but still... This is, this is an amazing part of the story. If you miss this part of the story, you know, the story of Esther is pretty great, right? But, you know, she doesn't want to go. Her uncle Mordecai says, you know, maybe you should go. Maybe God put you here for such a time as this. She's like, it's not going to do any good, not going to do it. You should go. He, he's pushing her. No one's pushing Moses. Moses had seen God do his uh, horrible judgment on the world, right? And yet God is telling Moses... Here's what I'm going to do. And Moses is a whole lot more interceding than Esther. Esther's going to her husband, who's a man, right? But this, Moses isn't going to a man. He's going to God and he's like, no, don't do it, God. And if you're going to do it, then kill me. Now, guys, wow. But still, because of what... Love does. He did what he did. Love always intercedes. Even when it looks like he should not or what he's going to do is going to lead to his own death. He had seen Israel sin with his own eyes. He had seen their lascivious revelry and idolatry with his own eyes. He, he was made angry by it, right? He knew they had turned on him and they had set his brother over him. I was listening Andy, I was listening to them read this passage, and I'm thinking, Aaron doesn't love them. Does Aaron intercede for these people? Or does he go, you know what? <laughs> I, they gave me all this gold, and I put it in the fire, you know? And it came out a calf. I mean, does Aaron love these people? You see, they put a man over them who would do what they wanted, which... Obviously, they must have wanted a calf, right? It wasn't his idea. I think, I'll get, no, they wanted it. Somehow there was, you know, we don't understand what was going on with them. They were reverting to some weird god of Egypt or something. Moses had seen it. He knew they turned on him. They set his brother over him. He was angry with them too. So angry that he broke the very stones that God had written on. I, this was... I've broken a lot of important things. I'm a very clumsy person. I've broken so many nice things. 
Nothing like that. Even so, the Lord said to Moses, go, get down. For the people which you brought out of the land of Egypt, they have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf. They've worshipped it. They've sacrificed to it. These be thy gods, O Israel. It's like, God's like, oh, I'm going I'm I'm to give them to them what they want. The Lord said to Moses, I've seen the people. Behold, they're stiff-necked. I mean, God is cast, he, he is speaking his judgment. He is saying all of these things. This is an amazing story. If you, if you don't understand what you're reading, you're missing it here, okay? Now, therefore, let me alone that I, I mean, God is telling Moses to, to just let him do what he wants to do. I, this is remarkable to me. Now, what's more remarkable is what I know about God. Jonathan, do you think that Moses loved these people more than God did? So what in the world is going on here? This may sound funny to you. But God is acting. God knows the end from the beginning. God doesn't change. The Bible says, I am the Lord and I change not, right? So did all of a sudden Moses go, come on, don't do it, don't do it. And God's like, you know what, I'm really mad and I'm going to kill them all. But that Moses guy, is that what's going on? We know that's not what's going on. So what is going on? What's going on is God is wanting to see what Moses is going to do. He's wanting Moses to see what Moses will do. Just like Abraham, right? Abraham, all right, let's do it. Angel has to grab his hand. What is that about? Abraham needs to show us what faith does. It works. It obeys. It believes. It has hope. That's what faith does. And what God is showing us through Moses is what love does. Love always intercedes. You see, God had preserved Moses' life and he had had him raised and he had prepared him for such a time as this and he was taking him to his final test before he could really lead God's people. Let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them, that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. What's he doing? He's appealing to Moses. Moses. Now, when we don't love, I mean, if you don't love the people, Stephen, you can be like this, you can be like, that's right. You know what? They've overthrown me for my brother. And they never appreciated me anyway. And they're complaining against me. Here I haven't, I've been up on a mountain for 40 days. I haven't eaten any food. I've come down with the holy uh, word of God in my hands. And what are they doing? They're worshiping a calf, these bunch of idiots. They're not like me. What's wrong with these people? I would have never done something like that. He's appealing to Moses here. I will make of thee a great nation. Was it God's plan to kill all of them? And to make of thee a great, you know, to do this for Moses, it was not God's plan. Even after hearing God's thoughts about them and God offering him the chance to start over again with just him, what does Moses do? He pleads for them. Moses besought the Lord and said, Lord, why? Why did thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt? With great power and with a mighty hand. Wherefore should the Egyptians speak? 
He begins to do what David often does in the Psalms, right? He begins to say, don't you know what's going to happen? I mean, you just delivered uh, them out of Egypt and Egypt is going great as God. And now you're going to kill them? This is not going to work out good. He then begins to remind God about his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, I've heard people who don't understand God's word going, that's what we need to do. We need to remind God of his promises. And when we do, he can't do bad things. I'm like, are these people stupid? As if God forgets anything. We need to know the word of God. And we need to bring it to God. And we need to hold God to his promises. But what was he doing? He was remembering what God had said. And this is what we should always do. His hope that he was building, his case that he was making wasn't, they're really nice. His his case that he was making was from where? It was from the word of God. Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say for mischief he did bring them out, to slay them in the mountains, to consume them in the face of the earth? Turn thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Now, just so you know, he's... He's not calling on God to repent, okay? The word is used here in the King James, but he's telling God, don't do what it is that it seems that you're planning to do. Verse 13, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants to whom thou swearest, and said unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven. I want to stop here for just a moment. I want to explain to you how love intercedes. Love doesn't intercede and go, you know what? That's my favorite kid. Oh, Lord. No, no, no. Whenever we intercede, we need to go to the word of God and say, Lord God, I'm coming to you from the force of the word itself. Lord, you said that that raise up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he won't depart from it. Lord, you said that if, I, you know, and, and, and we can, you can come to God with his word, not to hold him to it, but really to bolster your faith and being able to ask God for these things. When you're praying for your neighbor and you're like, neighbor, Lord, save my neighbor, something inside of you, you go, yeah, but they're, all they do is they smoke weed all day long and they're covered in tattoos and, and they're nasty and they don't love God. And you, you should say, you know what? I was that. And you know what? I am that still. Lord, you said that though our sins were scarlet, they shall be white as wool. When we intercede for people, we should be reminded. We should be quoting God's word. We should be coming before God with his word. Not to hold him to it like a lawyer. We certainly don't have that kind of power. He quotes it. He said, don't you remember what you swore to yourself? By yourself, you said to them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven and all the land that I have spoken. I will give it to your seed and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented. Now, it says the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do to his people. He calls the people to repentance. And many respond here. And as you will see, God tells Moses that he's still going to kill them all. And Moses, like Abraham before him, when he pleaded for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, Moses intercedes not with reason, but he intercedes out of love. He works his way through the promises, but finally he's like, okay, okay, okay. I'm willing to put myself in between 
them and you. If, you've got to, if somebody's got to die today, let it be me. How many of you love anybody like that? You know, this is the heart of love, the heart of the true intercessor, the heart of Christ. Amen? For Moses had said, consecrate yourselves today to the Lord. Every man upon his, every, every man upon his son, upon his brother, that he may bestow upon you a blessing this day. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said to the people, you've sinned a great sin. Now I will go up to the Lord pre-adventure. I shall make an atonement for your sin. And Moses returned to the Lord. Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt, forgive their sin. And if not, blot me, I pray, out of thy book, which thou hast written. He, it's, he, this is his Abraham moment. This is his moment where the knife is in his hand and it's ready to come down on Isaac. It's his Abraham moment. Now he is here with love, his Moses moment. And he is like, okay, God, kill me. I mean, we think of Moses, the lawgiver, but we don't think of him as the lover of the people. But we can see that he was. The Lord said to Moses, those people that have sinned, I will blot out of my book. Therefore, now go lead the people unto a place which I have spoken thee. Behold, my angel shall go before thee. Nevertheless, in the day that I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. And the Lord plagued the people because they had made a calf. So I know I mentioned this before, but I'm going to say it again. So do you think Moses loved the people and was more merciful than God? Did Moses touch God and cause him to change his mind? Certainly not. Everybody say, certainly not. God's mercies are new every morning. He had loved them with an everlasting love. His plan all along was to save them. But God was showing us the love that he had given Moses for his people. You see, believing God can love us like like this, but believing God could cause a man to act like this toward another man is a different thing. It's, do, do you understand what I'm saying? Believing that God could love us is one thing, but believing that God could cause charity to love Elizabeth like that, that's amazing. We understand God doing that, but what God is doing, this great thing God is doing, is that man is going to love man enough to die for him. You see, that is the power that is changing the world. When people love each other enough to intercede for them, then we conquer all of our enemies. Self-preservation is the greatest human instinct to overcome this. It takes something greater than all of us. It takes what? It takes love. As Paul said, the greatest of these things that God has given is Love. God did this for Moses to see and for the children of Israel to see and for us to see today. This was not only uh, the only time that Moses did this. He repeated this throughout his life as he led God's people. We read about it in Numbers chapter 14. All the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept all night, it says. In verse 1, all the people, Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said, what that we had died in the land of Egypt. Oh, that we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into the land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become the prey of all of the things in the desert. 
Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said one to another, let us choose a leader and let us go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation and of the people of Israel. Joshua, the son of Nun, and of Caleb, the son of Japuna, were among those who had spied the land. They tore their clothes and they said to the congregation, the land which we passed through to spy it out, it's exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. What are they trying to do? They're trying to explain to the people what God's word has said. Are they listening? The people are not listening, right? Only please don't rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land, for they are just bread for us. Their protection is removed from them. The Lord is with us. Don't fear them. Then all the congregation decided they would stone the people. (laughs) This is what happens. When you get between people and their own foolishness and their ignorance and you try to intercede, they hate you. You might go, well, that's, that's really not a real message of Christmas. Uh, you know, <laughs> I think it was Bing Crosby. Every good deed you know, gets the return of a great kick in the pants or something like that. But that's what they did. Here they're, they're, they're trying to save the people from themselves. They're trying to save them from the judgment of God. And they explain to them the word of God. They remind them of the promises of God. They try to say, look what God's going to do. And so the people go, yeah, we should probably stone these guys. Why? Because they won't shut up. <laughs> you see, what happened to the prophets? Remember Jesus in Matthew 24, the blood of the prophets, which you have slain from all the way from Abel to uh, Zachariah, who we slew between the porch and the altar, their bloods come upon you. What are they talking about? They killed them. That's what happened. You see, when you are a prophet, when you speak the word of God, when you confront people with their sin, when you try to deliver them, when you try to intercede, they generally want to kill you. Like they did Stephen and like they did another man much greater than Stephen. The congregation said, let's stone them. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of the meeting to all the people. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? How long will they not believe in me in spite of the signs that I've done among them? I will strike them with pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. And once again, what does Moses say? That's it. I'm done with them too. Kill them all. Nope. But Moses said, well, then the Egyptians will hear about it. For you brought up this people in your might. They will tell the inhabitants of the land that they've heard of you. Oh, Lord, you are in the midst of this people. You, oh, Lord, are seen face to face and your cloud stands over them. And you go before them in the pillar of a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill this people as one man, the nations who have heard of your fame will say it is because the Lord was not able to bring his people into the land, which he swore to give to them that he has killed them in the wilderness. And now, please... Let the power of the Lord be great, as you have promised, saying the Lord is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he will be by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Please pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. What's Moses doing again? He's pleading. 
Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and the signs I did in Egypt and and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these 10 times and not obeyed me, they shall not see the land that I swear to give them to their father. So God relented. He didn't kill them all, but he said, none of them are going to the promised land, right? He's saying, God's saying, it's not, it's not that they're not going to be judged. I will deal with them. But what are you doing, Moses? You're interceding. You're doing what Jesus is going to do. You're doing what every child of mine is called to do. We also read about this in Deuteronomy 9. Moses was the intercessor. He was a mere shadow of the one who would ever live to make intercession for us, as the writer of Hebrews tells us. The world around us, our wives and our children, our fellow church members have Christ interceding in all of our lives when we stand in the gap for people. Love is willing to sacrifice itself, our desires, our freedom so that others can live. Love interceded for us on the cross. Love intercedes for us today. In Moses, they prayed for salvation and it came in an imperfect way through a man. The perfect intercessor, though, came the same way that Moses came. He came as a baby. And he came the way every one of us did, too, as a baby. He was not born on the banks of the Nile, but he was born in a stable in Bethlehem. And today we know that he ever lives to make intercession for us. One of my favorite scriptures in the whole Bible, and it will be one of those that we memorize this year, is Ephesians 4.32. It tells us what our response should be to the wonderful news. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. None of us has earned a place with God because of our own righteousness. And for this reason, we should be merciful. We should love mercy, not just because by being so we will obtain it, but because we understand that without Christ standing in the gap for us, that we would be barred from heaven's gates ourselves. Let us be a people not of a radical lifestyle known for our countercultural ways as much as we are known for our radical love and mercy and intercession. Let us be like our intercessor, abounding in love and kindness, mercies now new every morning in our lives instead of getting on a bandwagon of pointing out what people deserve and ask God to fill our hearts with love that we're able to ask God to destroy us before he destroys them. Love the world like our intercessor did and pray for God to give, forgive them and to save them. Pray that God uses you as instruments of their salvation. Let us have hearts like David Livingston, which is still buried under a tree in Africa, who gave all that others might live and suffered greatly in doing it. Let us be like William Carey, who went to India and saw Seti, where they burn the wife alive if the husband dies before the wife. He lost his wife and child chasing buzzards off of their bodies, yet he refused to live a life of comfort and ease while people were dying in the darkness of Hinduism. Give us sons and daughters with hearts of intercessors like Adoniram Judson, like Arthur and Laura Carson, like Dr. East, 
who left the beauty of the free world as America's first missionaries and went to Burma, to the beloved place that we all know now as Myanmar. Judson lost two wives and seven of his children during this hard work. He said, I will not leave Burma until the cross of Christ is planted here forever. He came like Moses came before God, willing to die that others might live. Oh God, give us hearts like this. It may be and seem like the modern era has come and now there's no need for this kind of harm or intercession. But I say it is needed now much more than it's ever been needed in the world. And every one of you have been called to this same ministry yourself. You can do this at home, in your relationship with your husband, in your relationship with your wife, in the relationship with the people of your church. You can do it. You have that spirit in you. Before we end and before we're going to sing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Recently, I was trying to explain to somebody how much that I wanted to help somebody else. And I was not joking. I was very serious and I was very desperate at the time. And I was trying to convey this and I said, I promise you, if there was a way that I could go to a hospital somewhere and, 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 and they could amputate my arm right now. I'm on, I'm there. I wouldn't regret it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't look back and go, I shouldn't have done it. I promise. I was like, I was like, I want it that bad. Tell me where to go. Tell me what body part to cut off. I will do it today. And you know what God spoke to my heart, Luke? He's not calling us to give our arm. He's calling us to give it all and to die. And only in that death, that true intercession, can we show the love of Christ. Because he didn't just give his arm. He gave it all. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for loving us. Lord, every week as we celebrate communion, the wine is poured out. And I think sometimes we forget that it represents your blood. Every time we break the bread and we eat it and, and we smell the yeast and, and we, we taste the good taste in our mouth, I think we forget that it's your body that was broken. It was you who died. Lord, before the head of the serpent was crushed by your heel, you were crushed. There in the press at Gethsemane, when blood came out, as sweat as you anguished in the garden praying that this cup might pass but in the end nevertheless not my will but thine be done was the cry of your heart as you step forward and as Hebrews tells us for the joy that was set before you endured the cross despising the shame and endured such great contradiction yet now, you are seated at the right hand of God, ever living to make intercession for us. 
May that be our hope. May that be our faith. May that be our joy. And today, may that be the result of the love that you shed abroad in our hearts. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.